This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hope you had a great weekend, everybody. And we're into a very interesting week coming up, uh, starting with, we'll talk about it in a moment, the um, testimony before the House and Senate, U.S. House and Senate, uh, about... um, by Anthony Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State. He'll be testifying this week. That's what we're going to talk about, what you need to know today. But, well, obviously, uh, the big deal in California, where our show originates, is the recall election. I don't believe any of the polls. I know the polls are saying that Gavin Newsom has solidified his inf- his power uh, and, and is uh, 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 beating the recall. That's what the polls say. I don't believe it. Reminds me of the polls that were so clearly off-base when it came to Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Remember that? I mean, the polls had Trump losing dramatically. They had a landslide for uh, the Republicans, uh, excuse me, the Democrats everywhere. It was the exact opposite, except for five or six places where uh, Biden won uh, the, at least seemed to win the votes, and then he won the election. Everywhere else, it was dramatically, dramatically in favor of the Republicans against the polls, or say it, let's say it better. The polls were totally wrong. And I think they were wrong for a couple reasons. One, I think the people weren't telling the truth. But two, I think the pollsters wanted it to be that way. And I think that's what you're seeing right now. Anyway, we'll see. That's the big thing, the recall. But let me get to what you need to know. And and by the way, we're going to talk in a few moments with the uh, author, an author uh, who's been on the program before. He's the most famous author you've never heard of. And and when when I say that, I mean, his name won't be that familiar to you. Martin Dugard. But he's written all with Bill O'Reilly all the killing books, killing Lincoln, killing uh, Kennedy, killing Patton, all those books. He's the co-author. And so he's just sold millions and millions of books. But in his own right, he is a best-selling author, and he's got a book called uh, Taking Paris, Taking Paris. And we'll talk with him. We'll also talk about this massive tax increase that the Democrats are floating, um, all that and more. But right now, what you need to know, what you need to know Today's wink is we have a crisis of accountability. We have a crisis of accountability, and it's aided by the speed with which the um, the uh, media moves now. And when I mean when I say media, I should say you know big tech slash the media. I get well, you can say it this way: media, meaning social and mainstream, or social and uh, broadcast, or better, social and big media. It just moves so fast. Because it's using Twitter, it's breaking a story, and by the time the story's been posted for six hours, it's corrected, changed, argued about, and then uh, reformulated, and it's gone. You know, it's on to the next thing. And so I think we're living in a time where you do, the accountability, if it doesn't happen within a short period of time, it's not likely to happen. Because something will overtake it. And, you know, the example I have, I guess, the one example that would be the best one is the governor of Virginia... It was exposed to have when he was in medical school, not when he was 15, but when he was in medical school, there's a photo on his uh, his medical school page, his yearbook page, where there's a picture of him and a friend and one person's in blackface and the other person's in a clan hood. And it's never been told to me exactly who's who, but one of them was Governor Northam. And the story broke, and instead of resigning, which is what everybody called for in the first 10 minutes, he just ignored them and went on. And he's still in office. He'll, he's still in office till next month. Or actually, he's still in office till January. The election is in November. 
to replace him. But he was term limited. He only served one term. So in in the modern era, the best way to do it is to hang on and the cycle will go past you. And the danger is the cycle passes you by and defines what happens and you never get to re-ring the bell. You know, you're always known for something that wasn't true. There's lots of examples of that. And only in rare cases is there accountability like, say, what happened to um, uh, Andrew Cuomo. Because events move so quickly. They don't, events don't move quickly. The events that are occurring, occurring are covered so quickly. And here's an example of that. Afghanistan, then the withdrawal at the end of the 20-year war, was, is one of the most embarrassing, horrendous failures, both in perception and reality, we've ever had. Part of it is because you can see every aspect of it. I concede that. I always do. But part of it is really, really incompetent. I mean, really incompetent, like as incompetent as you can get, really bad with ham handed decisions, failure to correct, you know, just lying about one thing. And now the news that's out is that there was a the supposed effort to take out a suicide bomber. Turns out they took out a, a guy who was helping the Americans and his family. Ten people died and they lied about it. Totally lied about it. So here's the thing. Antony Blinken testified on Monday before, I think, the House and Tuesday before the Senate. And and my prediction is because someone has to be held accountable, at least publicly, he's going to end up having to walk the plank. My prediction is that he will be out of office in the next week or two. And it's not because they believe in holding someone accountable. It's that somebody's going to lose the sort of the the palace fight, right? The fight amongst the powerful. And he's the one that's going to lose it. And here's where I want to just caution you. I want to caution you on this. Anthony Blinken, when he's forced to resign, he'll ultimately resign in the week or next week or two. And he'll say, you know, I'm going to pursue other opportunities. He's already he's already very wealthy. He comes from a wealthy family. I think his father or stepfather was a massively wealthy guy. But he will immediately go on to that second that that second career of being write a book and be a talking head. Go on, not a talking head. He'll probably go on boards. I don't think maybe he will be a talking head. I don't. I didn't see him doing that before. So, but maybe he will. But he'll make more money next year than he'll, he'll make. He'll make five or ten million dollars next year because that's how the swamp embraces their own. It's like when you're a a senator. When you hear a senator who's in his 50s or 60s is quitting, it's because he's going to go lobby and he'll be embraced by both parties. That's how this works. That's how the swamp works. And so Antony Blinken, my prediction is, he's going to be the one who is forced for accountability's sake to have to take the, you know, walk the plank. Because I just don't think that they uh, they can get away with it. And I think they know that. And now they're going to have in this right back to back coming up in uh, in these next um, in these two back to back hearings. He's going to have to talk about the bombing that took place of an innocent family, the lying about it, the fact that we're giving money and whatever we're giving to get people out. The fact that initially they said no one is uh, behind that left behind that didn't want to be. Now, Anthony Blinken has had to admit that there was. I mean, it's and, and the accountability crisis, it will be even too much for the media to bear. And they will push this guy out and, and he will sort of and he'll see that the first guy out, the first guy martyred for the left's cause in this case, he'll, he'll have the most money. He'll get the biggest payday because four cabinet secretaries from now, it just won't be that interesting when Pete Buttigieg quits and when uh, whoever's running it, my Mayorkas or whoever quits at DHS in the next year or whatever. It just won't be. This is the chance 
in a funny way to go out to glory. Not go out in a you know in a in a uh, in the sort of uh, you know flame flame out. Go out into go out to glory. That's what Antony Blinken will do. And the reason why is broadly there is no accountability. The crisis and accountability is that they will do the kabuki theater of him leaving, and it won't change anything. They have shown that they will not change anything. There's nothing about what's happening. In what, what you need to know is the powers that be don't care. They don't even think about it for a moment that they should be accountable to the people, to anybody. And so the, the form of accountability, and that, by the way, they'll write headlines. The headlines about Joe Biden, uh, you know, forced out his secretary. Say, oh, it's, it's all kabuki theater. You've heard that term? Kabuki theater is this kind of Japanese theater where there's this sort of very formulaic and very in front of you. You see kind of uh, uh, shapes and things. But what's going on, it's all preordained. I don't know. That's a better way to say it. I, lo- I love using that phrase. I've used it for years. Kabuki theater. People tend to know what you mean. That's what it is. There's no accountability. Nobody's held, nobody, nobody, remember Susan Rice, she lied about the video that caused uh, Benghazi, she lied about it on all the shows, she was disgraced, then when she was the last days of Obama, she was found to have been unmasking American citizens, you know what happened to her? Nothing. She went to Stanford, I think, and got a big position, she got made lots of money, no shame, there's no accountability, you, you can't have accountability when you have people that have no shame, there's no shame. At all. Comey. Comey's making a million, tens of five or seven or ten million dollars for his book and teaching ethics at William and Mary Law School, the oldest law school in America. That's <laughs> there's an accountability crisis, but don't expect it to change. But I will predict Ant- Antony Blinken will uh, walk the plank into riches and glory uh, as uh, part of the Kabuki Theater. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we got a lot more. Two great guests today. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Be right back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. And uh, the news broke overnight. I don't, I can't really tell. It looked like it was leaked somehow, but it had to be intentional. Uh, and that is that the Democrats' new plan would impose a almost 27% t- uh, tax, federal uh, corporate tax rate, uh, which is up from 21%. So up from 21% to 26.5%. And uh, before we get to John Karch, John Karch is uh, one of the senior officials over at Americans for Tax Reform. I think he's the vice president there at Communications. And before we get to that, I remember being in Missouri when uh, Donald Trump gave a speech on the famous tax cuts of his uh, first couple years in office. And I had been kind of milk toast on it. I thought there was other things we should do. And he talked about how if we don't lower the corporate tax rate, we're setting up American businesses to get taken over and call it inverted by uh, European and other countries' businesses because they just it's too much money when you can get to a better tax rate. So it was it was eye opening to me, and I went back and researched it. And I thought, okay, I got it, and we'll see. So here we are, John uh, Karcha, Americans for Tax Reform, ATR dot uh, Welcome to the program. How are you, sir? Thank you so much. I'm doing well. Yeah, the the bill. Actually came out this morning with specific language, and yes, twenty six point five is what the Democrats want to raise the federal corporate rate to. That does not include state corporate rates, which average about five to six percent, and they're they're deductible. So when you add it all together, we end up with a thirty one percent rate under the Democrat plan for our business tax. China 
Communist China is at 25%, we would end up with a 31% rate. The developed world average is 23.5%. So we'd, we'd be have higher taxes than China, higher than the developed world. All of our competitors would have a lower business tax rate than us, and that's not a good place to be when you're trying to come out of a once-in-a-century pandemic. Uh, we're talking with John Karchoff from over at America's Tax Reform, and uh, I'll put up on social media, on the website, ATR.org, there's a uh, a link to an, sort of an explainer document. It goes through and has all 50 states. You can link through and all. Um, John, do you think... I mean, and I know, you know, you guys, that's what, you know, this is Grover Norquist, Americans for Tax Reform. This is what you fight against. So you you can't not fight everything. But it seems too ridiculous. I mean, is this, I mean, I guess you can't agree with me, but it feels like Pelosi's trying to please her base. But is there any way that the, that this passes? I mean, how insane would this be? That's a good question. And I, I, part of me thinks that the Democrats know they're going to lose the House in the 2022 election. So they're trying to snatch and grab absolutely everything they can before they lose. But if you look at this, how, how is it a good idea when, you know, the, you know, our small business has been battered for the last 18 months due to government, you know, imposed shutdowns. And now we're going to come along with the largest tax increase since 1968. That's 53 years, the largest tax increase in 53 years when we're trying to dig out from a pandemic. And on, on corporate taxes, okay, who do you think is going to end up paying that? Do you think the corporation just eats it and then says, oh, that hurt? No, we pay it. We pay it in the higher right. cost of products, higher cost of services. The wages go down. And that, that's what happens. All taxes are paid by the people. They're not, they're not paid. The corporations don't actually pay the tax. They just collect it, right? And there's a whole bunch of taxes right. in here that hit, hit small businesses, regardless of how they're organized, whether it's pass-throughs or it's, you know, or it's corp- corporations. And, you know, again, small businesses are the ones that have survived. I mean, the last thing they need right now is a tax increase. And, uh, you, you know, this I don't know what, uh, you know, to your question, unless they think this is their last chance to grab everything, I, I can't believe yeah. that they would do this. Right. The country right now. Well, I think, yeah, that, there's there's some of that logic. I agree that, uh, you know, if they're going to go down, they take it all as much as they can right now. Uh, I wanted to point out one thing I saw in reading up on this, and, and you guys highlighted it. Um, and I remember this from my days in Missouri when I worked for the governor there. Um, when when a, a, the electric and the gas companies, the big utility companies, get a break, they have to go before their utility commission every year. Now, sometimes there's a lag. So if you're, let's say you're a big gas company and you get a cut in your corporate rate, you know, maybe it takes another six months or something before the utility commission gets its act together. But what they do pretty quickly, because they want to show that they're playing, you know, ball, is they cut the, they cut what they charge utility, they charge people. You know, in other words, the rates are set in order to sort of control the market from getting out of hand that you have these utility commissions. We could have another debate another, another time. John Karch about uh, how well those (laughs) utility commissions work in most states. But the point is, after the 2017 tax cut, you saw people, one of the ways Joe Sixpack saved directly was utility costs went down because the utility companies had to pass it on because they were beholden to some extent to utility commissions. The opposite would be true. They'd go right in and say, hey, we just got dinged with, you know, four and a half percent increase. We've got to get it somewhere or we can't make this work. And they would get it. That's my experience of it, right? That's absolutely correct. After the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act signed by President Trump, we collected 300 examples of investor-owned utilities across the countries that had to lower their rates uh, because with the state utility commissions and pass those on. 
And conversely, if there is a corporate tax increase, they will be required by law to build that into their price as well. It has. The, I mean, no, this applies to this. This concept obviously applies to everything in the economy. But this is different because it's, it's actually by law and it's it's written and documented and proved. So there will be news reports and every Democrat must ask themselves if they're going to vote for this thing. Do you want one to raise utility rates on on your constituents and all small businesses that run on tight margins? Right. Think about refrigeration in a small business, heating, cooling, all that. OK, um, this mm-hmm. is water, gas, you know, all, all, all your utility bills. They got to ask themselves: Do they want to raise utility bills on their constituents, and they want to deal with local news coverage that's going to be talking about it? Because local news, local news loves to cover this story, both an increase and a decrease. So that's that's a, it's a huge factor. I'm, I'm very glad you brought that up. A vote for a corporate tax hike is a vote for an increase in utility bills. Well, and and even more, uh, you can even take it out further. And you know, it's one of the reasons why, like a gas tax, is so bad for regular people. If you if you you know because you can't skip buying gas if you if you drive a truck or you work your farm uh, you know equipment. In this case, if utility costs go up. They go up for the individual who lives in his home and is heating and running his air conditioner or, or, you know, heat or whatever. But they also go up for the businesses around that are making stuff. So the businesses around are making stuff. Their utilities go up. They're going to pass that on. Their taxes go up. They're going to pass that on. I mean, again... It's um it's a bad idea all around. I, I, let me go back, John. Again, we're talking with John Karch, uh, who is at the Americans for Tax Reform. He's uh, one of the vice presidents there. Um, what's your what are you hearing up on Capitol Hill about the likelihood? I mean, I got to figure Republicans in the House all vote against it, or almost entirely doesn't matter. Um, but in the Senate, what's what are you hearing about in terms of the reception, either from Republicans or key Democrats? What's the scuttlebutt on what might happen here? Yeah, so it. It's going to be very close. You know, famously, we know about Mansion, but also Cinema. Mm-hmm. Does Cinema want to raise taxes on Arizona businesses right now and, and her constituents? Uh, Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire, she's one of the most endangered uh, Senate Democrats up for re-election in 2022. She likes to hide, but New Hampshire is historically a very anti-tax state. Does she want to raise, you know, the largest tax increase in 50 years on you know, in New Hampshire, she's got to think about that. What about John Tester in Montana? He's got some tough, tough uh, calls to make. Cortez Masto out of Nevada. So there's, you know, it's more than just Manchin. Manchin sort of takes all the heat, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot of other Democrats. So honestly, I mean, we're just going to train our fire on this, uh, to, 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 you know, full court press and see if we can kill as much of this as possible uh, in the next uh, few weeks. They're going to try to get it done, you know, before they, they kind of want to get this done before everybody starts noticing. But I, I don't think they're going to be able to do that. Um, so, well, you know, definitely, you know, spread the word on this. And, you know, uh, and John, where could, where could people go to find out more? Or is there a do you have an email list you put everybody on or alert list? Uh, tell us where people can go to yeah. find out more. We're talking with John yeah, Karch, Americans are tax reform. Absolutely. If you visit ATR.org, our last 10 most recent posts are all about the bill. There's also some ridiculous spending in there. Like, they're going to spend $3 billion on, <laughs> on youth climate activists so they can have food, lodging, and transportation so they can go about their uh, business. So that's a, that's an interesting one. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Yeah, but that's ATR, ATR.org. So I encourage you to check it out. 
All right, ATR.org, and I'll put it up. John Karch is uh, over on Twitter also. I'll put his handle, at John Karch. It's K-A-R-T-C-H, at John Karch. You can follow him there. Uh, He is the Vice President of Communications over at Americans for Tax Reform, ATR.org. And I will also put up this uh, website that I got, the one that has the key uh, sort of talking points. It's uh, very helpful. But um, hopefully, you know, if if it doesn't get lost in, uh, I don't know, what you know, Antonin Blinken's, uh, the Secretary of State's testimony, you know, that's one of the danger right now is the, the hot button they distract us and meanwhile the country's uh these major pieces of legislation are moving so thanks john we'll keep uh, keep us informed and we'll have you back on again thank you very much ed all right everybody we'll take a break again atr.org atr.org go there you'll see it all it says he as uh, john mentioned it's on the front page there we'll take a quick break and be right back ed martin here on a pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And while the world is watching everything else, we need to check in on the border, which is uh, our southern border, which is just a disaster. Uh, I can't say you can't compare disasters, so I would not never compare it to um, I would never compare it to Afghanistan or anything else. It's just a different thing. Uh, but our guest, of course, is Todd Benzman. His book is America's Covert Border War. I have it on my bookshelf. You should have it on yours. Uh, the subtitle has The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to Prevent Jihadist Infiltration. He is the Senior National Security Fellow over at uh, the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Todd, welcome back. I noticed one of your pieces uh, earlier, maybe a, uh, well, a few days ago, about an Afghan vetting failure is the title from 2008. Now, you wrote a whole book on the border. Tell us about this example of what was going on in terms of Afghanistan and vetting and the problems. Well, we've had quite a few vetting failures of Afghanis uh, over the years when there was no chaotic uh, fallen Afghanistan crisis. Uh, When things were kind of normal, we were having vetting failures. So you can imagine what's about to happen. Uh, but in the, there are a couple of cases. One is that we did have uh, just a couple of years ago an Afghan cross through Central America into Mexico and then into Brownsville, Texas, over the border. And in his case, we got awfully lucky in that there was already a Department of Defense record on him. But I'll tell you about it because this is the type of a uh, of a a refugee, quote-unquote, air quotes, that we probably will be seeing in increasing numbers at the border. Uh, This gentleman, his name was uh, Wasik Ullah, and he Mm -hmm. uh, had worked for the American military at Camp Leatherneck as an interpreter, and then he applied for a special immigrant visa and was uh, given a pretty thorough security vetting by our, our army, and they found that he was working for the Taliban intelligence service. So they wow. fired him and declared him persona non grata. He was not allowed to be on any military base to, to uh, or to, to, in his lifetime, get a special immigrant visa. And so uh, what he did instead was just pay $15,000 to a human smuggler, and he made his way right to the border. Thankfully... When he crossed and applied for asylum, they found that record. But there are a whole lot of other Afghans who won't have a record. Uh, And he has been, by the way, he's still here, uh, last I heard, fighting and appealing his deportation Hmm. uh, all the way to uh, one of the circuit courts. And that's where you can see his 
his information. But another Afghan came in by regular uh, visa. He uh, came in as a refugee. He was a doctor. And this was 10 years after mm-hmm. 9-11. He came in as a doctor, and he maintained a very deep and active and abiding relations with a, a, a U.S.-designated terrorist organization called HIG that was murdering American soldiers the entire time. Uh, and he was uh, tending to them as a, as a physician, as a doctor, to their fighters over there. And he just came in and got a, a green card, uh, hid the fact wow. that he had connections to this terrorist organization. I've written about this uh, just in the last few days, and uh, we missed him. We just didn't, uh, uh, we just didn't notice that uh, he was, uh, had been arrested by the Russians as a mujahideen during the late 1980s. Anybody in post-9-11 who was working for the, fighting with the mujahideen in the 80s uh, we're looking at them a little bit differently after 9-11, and that would have triggered a more intense security vetting where we could have found out his HIG connections. Instead, for five, six years, he was able to operate inside the United States, communicating with HIG and supporting them by shipping books back and forth from Afghanistan to here that had coded messages inside them. And then those books then would be distributed to other HIG sympathizers inside the United States. It took the FBI to figure that one out, and they just charged him and convicted him the year before last and uh, gave him a two-year sentence and then deported him back to Afghanistan. I hope he's still there and didn't get on board one of the evacuation flights. (laughs) Uh, we're talking with Todd Benzman again. He's the uh, National Security uh, Senior National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. If you go through, click through on the staff, you can see his writings there. Hey, I, uh, Todd, I wanted to ask you to comment. I, I looked back. Phyllis Schlafly, late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked, gave a speech about 12 days, no, 10 days after 9-11. And the first part of it was this, is a, this was a failure of our immigration system. This was not a failure of America uh, domestically. It was foreigners who came, and then she was. This was ten days. It was September twenty-first. Enough was known about who the the uh, hijackers were, and that they overstayed their visas and all that. And she said, "I, you know, presciently, I hope we figure out how that they did this and we stop it. And I hope we don't uh, impose on our own civil liberties in this country uh, under the uh, rubric of cracking down when these were all foreign uh, terrorists." You wrote about uh, 9-11 20 years later. Uh, Walk us through what you see 20 years after this and what your thoughts are. I'll try to do it quickly. Uh, That's hard to do. The paper's about 20 pages long. Uh, Sure. But uh, to to cut to the chase, uh, people need to remember that bad guys adapt to good guy uh, measures to stop bad guys. So there's this constant cat and mouse kind of thing. So every time we spend national coin and uh, spend thinking time to rebuild our vetting processes, uh, the bad guys are figuring out ways to defeat it. And so it's the, it, it requires a constant attention. And over the years, we have not given it very constant attention. We have improved all of those uh, failings uh, from the 9-11 time to some extent. But there are 
Islamic terrorists that are still regularly getting through our vetting. And not just Islamics, but also Chinese spies who are abusing our J and F visas, that's for the scholars and students, and stealing all of our best cutting-edge defense research uh, from places like UCLA and MIT and Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Uh, and 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 moving it back to the Chinese military. And they just got in by lying about who they were, and there was, like, no vetting at all. They could have Googled. Some of the vetting staff could have just simply Googled their names and found them in full Chinese military uniforms. Uh, I mean, this is just not rocket science, a lot of this. Uh, and also Russian spies who uh, came in uh, also on student visas and other kinds of visas, and war criminals have uh, been coming in. Uh, pretty soon I'll be publishing a database of about 60 cases that are just in the last 10 years or so of terrible vetting failures that were unnecessary and could have been prevented and uh, kind of a reverse engineered analysis of those cases. Uh, just uh, to serve as a reminder to you know the American leadership, whoever it is, Democrat, Republican, that you just have to stay on top of this uh, vetting uh, processes for all kinds of foreign nationals uh, to protect the country. You can't waver from it and you can't stop. And I feel like we're in a stop mode right now. Uh, You know, under Trump, we had what he would call extreme vetting. And he put Mm -hmm. all sorts of uh, initiatives in place to accomplish what he called extreme vetting. And the Biden administration has been systematically reversing and undoing all of this. And you never hear the Biden administration prioritize or talk about with interest or concern this vetting system. And mm-hmm. so, as yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, it, it, it just goes on from there. There are many <laughs> examples of, of failure all these right. years later. Uh- we're talking again with Todd Benzman and go to CIS.org and you'll see he's uh, he posts his writings there and links to some of his appearances. And all. I just got a couple minutes left, uh, Todd. But we've talked to you about every two or three weeks now. I've, I've been interested to get uh, updates on things. And so my question, I think the last time, which I got some folks that emailed me about and said that was a good question, which is funny because they, sometimes they say you should have asked this. This one was What's it like now on the border? In other words, you've been down there, you've you observed it, you're, you know, we're, we're a month ago, it was X, and because we, we hear very little coverage of the border now. So what's happening on the border right now? So my understanding is that uh, immigrants are still pouring over that border in extremely large, historically large numbers. It has not attenuated despite uh, Supreme Court ruling on MPP, uh, you just simply still have a tremendous number of family units coming through. August, I'm hearing, is going to be uh, probably even more than July, which was a historic record. And both of these months should have been um, cyclic- cyclically lower by, you know, because it's hot in the summer months, but instead they're elevated. And that, uh, you know, we are still having a major, major influx down there that has completely swamped Border Patrol and all of our border agencies that are struggling 
to get any sort of control over it. There's a lot more runners now, people who are coming in large groups and just uh, bonsaiing over the border in a way that they know uh, Border Patrol can't catch them uh, because there's still some Title 42 returns, you know, for the pandemic, uh, you know, instant expulsions to Mexico. And there is a little bit of um, returns of family units back to Guatemala that's starting to happen. And so people don't want to get caught now. And so they're running in bonsai charges uh, through the through the um, unguarded borderlands. And uh, I'll be going down there again in probably a couple of weeks and we'll uh, be over on the Mexican side to see it for myself. And I can report back to you uh, after I get back or while I'm down there. Yeah, well, that'll be great. Well, uh, thank you as always, Todd Benzman. It's uh, so important what you're doing. Again, Todd Benzman, Senior National Security Fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Go over there. He On his website, on his page, this, the uh, page for his um, uh, under uh, about, you'll staff list, you'll see his writings. That's uh, great stuff. Thanks very much, Todd. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ed. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. A third of all Americans will not voluntarily receive a vaccine against the Wuhan virus, as politicians who rely on polls have known. The origin of the Wuhan virus is the Chinese Communist Party, But America's response should not adopt a communist mentality to fight it. Contrary to Dr. Fauci's outburst against red states and places in the South that are very highly ideological, it is not merely Trump supporters who oppose mandatory vaccination. Many Bernie Sanders supporters and Biden voters also resist. Healthcare workers throughout the nation have chosen to quit their jobs rather than submit to mandatory vaccination. Despite billions spent by Biden on the most intense vaccination effort ever, only two-thirds of Americans are even partially vaccinated against COVID-19, and a smaller percentage fully so. Biden alarmed freedom lovers by saying, now we need to go community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to push the COVID vaccination. Biden's Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra, insisted that it is absolutely the government's business who has not been vaccinated. Sending out bureaucrats door-to-door to push the COVID vaccine on unwilling Americans is a total waste of time and money. Can the left point to even one example of an American who has wanted the vaccine but is unable to get it? I don't think that the combined brain power of the entire fake news machine would be enough to come up with even one instance of this taking place. Anyone who wants the vaccine can get it. So why send people door to door? Of course, these same leftists talk endlessly about all of the minorities who are somehow incapable of obtaining a voter ID. If we can send people door to door pushing the vaccine, why can't we send people door to door pushing voter ID? To be honest, I don't want bureaucrats coming to my door pushing vaccines, voter IDs or anything else. But I think this example shows the hypocrisy of the left. Conservatives can take comfort in the consistency of our positions. We want all Americans to have the freedom to make their own choice on vaccines as well as on voting. 
Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues, upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Chairman Helen Marie Taylor, Treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis in our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Hey, I do want to cover a topic. You know, last week we had an incredible interview. I hope you remember it. Derek Kovic was on the program. And Derek Kovic is the uh, young man, I think he's about 40, maybe 45, who is... um, has a liver, a disease that affects his liver. He's already had a transplant once and he was in the middle of getting a transplant and he was blocked. He was, it's a story. If you go back and listen to the link, he, he's in the process of getting a transplant because he's healthy. He works out all the time. He's got a bunch of kids. He's a kind of a perfect candidate. I think he was a baseball coach, played baseball as a young man in college, I believe. And so he's a really good because you want to give, if you're going to have a transplant, you want it to be somebody that's ready and healthy. He's all set. I think he's in the top couple of maybe two or three on the list. And he gets told not by his doctor, not by his treatment uh, team that he needs a vaccination, but by somebody else in the hospital system who says, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to mandatory vaccines. He's already healthy. He doesn't have covid. You know, he's not he's not he's being very, very careful. And so he's knocked off the list. It's an absolutely horrifying story. And the thing about it that's so horrifying is there's nothing you can do. There's not really an appeal way to go forward. Well, he's appeared on uh, Fox uh, and Friends. He was on Tucker Carlson's show. And he's... um he is uh, just now started a GoFundMe page, which I'm going to put up on social media. And I'm not sure. I'll figure out how to make sure that this is uh, that you get. If you go and you search for hashtag do this for Derek, D-E-R-E-K, hashtag do this for Derek. And you'll see it's a GoFundMe page. I hope you'll consider giving. I'm giving. In fact, I'm going to go give right now. And, and please do. And we're going to put this. I'll put it up everywhere. I mean, this is life and death stuff. This is life and death, and he's got to raise money to get his transplant, take care of himself, and so if you can give a little bit, that's fine. So take a look over there, and look, if you listen, I'll make sure that we put this into it. His, um, his uh, buddy is doing this. Jamie Hall is the one who's doing it for uh, Derek Kovic, and it's amazing. So again, hashtag do this for Derek, do this for Derek, D-E-R-E-K. If you go to GoFundMe.com, you'll find it. And uh, I want you to uh, consider giving and to uh, read the story. Yeah, he played college baseball. That's I'm looking at it now. He played college baseball. And uh, and so he's a healthy guy, really healthy guy. And um, so I- I'm going to put it up on social media. I know he's um, in other hospital systems. He's back on the list. And so he's got another donor um, that he can get a transplant, um, it looks like. And so um, the uh, we'll see. I mean, we, we got to pray and hope and all, but he needs some money to be able to do this. So if you can take a look and uh, and see what's going on uh, here and, and give a contribution, I would appreciate it. Again, Derek, Co- excuse me, Derek uh, Derek Kovic, K-O-V-I-C-K, and his uh, w- website is hashtag do this for Derek, do this for Derek, and help uh, raise some money there for him as he goes forward. A courageous, courageous man. Courageous man, and really, um, uh, I'll make sure to post his interview when he talked about it. I-, I tell you, when I talked to him, he sounded so um, normal. 
I think if I was the guy that was about to get a transplant and I got knocked off because they wanted me to get vaccinated, and, and he talks about it, he said, I don't want to get vaccinated. He said, I'm not judging vaccines. He said, I just want to be healthy. So I'm not getting COVID either. He said, I'm being really careful about COVID. I'm being really careful about anything I put in my body. He's like, I'm a, I'm a health nut in terms of taking care of what I need to do. So it's, uh, it is um, very, he, he was, it sounded, like I said, very mellow, very down to earth, very kind of matter of fact. I'd be like, I'd be think I'd be a little bit more uh, hysterical than he is. So he's one of those guys that's tough, courageous. And again, uh, go to the, the website, which I'll put up. But if you go to GoFundMe.com and do a search for hashtag do this for Derek, D-E-R-E-K. Do this for Derek. There's also a video of him, a picture of him when he was on Tucker. And so hopefully we'll get lots of attention on this and uh, and get it out there. All right. Uh, we got to tell you, we got to wrap things up. Uh, thank you. Tomorrow, I will be hosting the special recall election coverage uh, on The Answer San Diego. So uh, the schedule will be a little bit turns upside down, but it'll be great to be with Andrea Kay and I uh, doing that on The uh, Answer San Diego. So we'll hope for the best in that recall. I don't believe the polls we'll see what happens all right uh thank you as always to our great noah dingley the producer of this program and joanna for booking our guests and you for listening we'll be back tomorrow it's ed martin here in a pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego